Welcome to Nancy's Bookshelf, a weekly program of conversations with North State and national writers from North State Public Radio. Now here's your host, Nancy Wickman. Author Tom Watson writes under the name T.E. Watson. He is an award-winning children's book author and has written more than 152 stories for children. His story of The Man Who Spoke With Cats received a Best Children's Book Award, and one of his audiobooks was nominated for a Grammy, Mom, Can I Have a Dragon? He often speaks at schools and writing conferences. Tom Watson, welcome. Hi, Nancy. It's good to hear from you again. Well, you um, speak to schools and writing conferences. When people invite you to speak, what topics do they ask you to cover? Can you give us an example? Wow, yeah. Uh, it's Wow, there's hundreds of different <laughs> topics. The, the idea is that imagination is, is number one. That's, that's the key to anybody who, who wants to write or who wants to learn how to write, is they've got to be able to learn their imagination or learn that they have an imagination in many cases. And I found that to be true in some schools that kids don't realize that, oh, yeah, I've got one. And, um, you know, things like that. Uh, it's, um, you know, what's it like to be an author? Um, there's so many different topics that you can cover. And also, you don't limit yourself to any area. If somebody from uh, L.A. says, Tom, we'd like you to come to our writing conference, you hop on a plane and there you are. There we go. Yeah. Well, um I had wondered how you got started writing children's books. <laughs> Long story. Let's see if I can make it short. <laughs> um, being a being a former teacher, we had an exercise where my fifth and sixth graders would kind of be bananas after school, and they'd be about six feet off the ground. And any teacher knows that it's difficult after lunch uh, for for children to settle down. So we invented two uh, objects at the front of the class, and they didn't have to do with anything. And any teacher out there is more than welcome to use this exercise because it works really well. That um, these two exercise or these two objects at the beginning of the classroom, we set them up on the on the ledge of the classroom chalkboard. If classrooms have chalkboards anymore, uh, it could be a whiteboard now. Uh, the idea is to say, okay, you have to settle down, but you have to write about these two objects, and they don't have to be related to anything, but you have to write about these two objects, and you have 20 minutes to do it. Well, we found that 20 minutes was far too long, because they were, after a few minutes, they would go, oh, I wrote about this, and it's like, eh. Okay, fine. But um, we knocked it down to 15. That didn't work. 10 minutes, it was getting better. And then we landed on five minutes. Five minutes is the key. No more, no less, five minutes to write about those two objects, those two things in the beginning of any classroom. Now, what the kids did is they go, oh, no, I got to write. I got to really go. And I said, okay, you know how to do this. You don't want to go ahead and just write anything. You want to think about it for one minute, and then you write the rest of it. And They got it. They got the idea. Now, what happened with my classroom is I gave them the assignment, and I thought, okay, yeah, I can, you know, I can do this. One uh, girl came up to me and said, Mr. Watson, if we have to write we know you like to, so you have to write too. And I went, okay, that, no problem. So I used that five minutes as a as sort of a breathing exercise for myself. And I wrote a, just a simple two-page kind of a poetry story called White Wings and Black Sail. And the kids went nuts over it. Of course, they do that with anything the teacher does. They think it's cool. Um, and I thought, well, this ain't a big deal. So one of the girls came to me and asked me, said, can I have a copy of this? Now, I didn't know that she was going to do this. This was completely uh, undercover. 
completely, <laughs> should I say, in, in cahoots with my principal. They didn't, they did not know that um, I had never been published before. Now I had done publishing and stuff like that through college and, 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 you know, magazine writings and newspaper articles and such. And, you know, they thought that was cool, but they knew I didn't ever have a book. Now I did not know they were doing this. And if anybody knows fifth and sixth graders, it's super hard for them to keep a secret. So they put 35 letters together with a copy of the story in their letter. And a, a small committee, I found this out after the fact, after months. And they took it to my principal and asked him, uh, can you help us get this published for him? And he said, I don't know what I'm doing. And so he said, would you try? Now, again, this is all a secret, and I knew nothing. A few months later, knock on my door, on my classroom door. I'm going, uh-oh. Because, <laughs> um, you know, when you're a new teacher, you get, you know, first on or last on, first gone. And I thought, uh-oh, I'm, I'm, what happened? Because I saw a pink envelope in his hand. I do not know why this particular publisher used a pink envelope, but they did. All I know is it scared me to death. On that pink envelope, well, rather, I let him in and he goes, here, here's, the, here's I have something for you. On the envelope, it said Random House, New York City. And I knew who Random House was. Everybody knew who Random House was, you know. And went from there, and I went, what is this? He goes, we don't know. Open it up. We're dying to find out. So I opened it up right then and there. My kids were at, you know, all their faces were plastered to the window, trying to figure out what I was doing and what was happening outside. And I opened it up, and it said, Dear Mr. Watson, due to the obvious popularity of your piece entitled White Wings and Black Sail, we would like a finished copy of it in, in, in final form uh, as soon as possible. Thank you very much. Blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, Random House, New York City. I was stunned. And I was, you know, after this, I was going, wait a minute. I don't know if I should be angry or if I should be happy. <laughs> I'm going, wait a minute, how come I don't know about this? Um, so they I walked in the door and it was like a giant wind. All the kids went back to their seats all at once. That was remarkable in itself. And I said, okay, what have you been up to? And they all, as if in an angelic choir, said, are you going to do it? Because they knew what it was. And I went, I don't know. And they said, you ought to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. And I thought, okay. Fine, I'll I'll do it. Didn't think about it after months and months and months. I polished it up, sent it off. Didn't think about it. Now here comes May. May is usually in California. They usually hand out uh, pink slips. Um, it's like instant retirement. Um, and so Mr. Martinez comes to the door again. Bam, 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 bam. Knocking on the door, and uh, it sounded that loud because we had metal doors. And the Point being that he handed me another pink envelope and it was bigger. And I went, uh oh, legal size envelope, you know. And I, again, it said Random House, New York City. And I went, uh oh, what's going on here? I thought, yeah, rejection letter. I thought, oh, fine. They're going to tell me all that's wrong and all this other kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, okay. So I opened it up and in there was a 19 page boilerplate contract very tiny type, uh, almost microscopic. And in there was a very, very large advanced check. I'm not going to say how much because it's kind of embarrassing. Uh, but, and they all said this, and he goes, wow. 
And the first thing Mr. Martinez asked, says, are you going to stay? Oh. <laughs> I went, well, yeah, I'm under contract. <laughs> so <laughs> as long as you'll have me, I'll do it. And all the kids, they went outside. We had a giant uh, pizza party for the school. I paid off my student loans. And um, that's how it got started. This is my guest, Tom Watson. He writes under the name T.E. Watson. And he's telling us how he got started as a children's book author. And Tom, the whole time you were recounting this story, I had this big smile on my face. This is such a happy story. My goodness, congratulations. It's a remarkable story because the, yes. this never happens. Yeah. This absolutely yeah. never happens. And so I've always been very fortunate in that regard. Um, my grandmother, uh, when I was about seven or eight, took me down on a special field trip in her old black Studebaker. And the uh, and she said, I'm going to go meet a fan of mine, because my grandmother was, a, was an author, too, in, in Scotland. So it was one of those things. So I was like, Dan, you get to come. And so I get to skip a day. Yeah, when I was seven or eight years old, this was cool. You know, I get to go down to, uh, at the time, we were going down to Salinas. And I thought, where's Salinas? And grandma said, I'm not quite sure, but we'll find out. So <laughs> uh, we went down there to have lunch with a fan of hers. And she, she consented. And uh, we went down there. And she said, okay, when we got there, we said, mind your manners, you know, be polite, all that, or you're going to get what for. And, and what for meant a lot of different things to her. Uh, but the... Uh, but being there, got out of the car, a gentleman came to the car and he said, um, are, you, are you Mrs. Fraser? She goes, yes, yes, I am. And she said it in her very proper and polite Scottish accent. And uh, we had lunch and whatnot, the conversation went on and, and the gentleman asked, uh, what would you like to do when you were growing up? And he asked me that. So I thought, I, I want to be a writer. And he, and grandma said, good answer. <laughs> so you really knew at a very young age that this is what you wanted to do. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, only, only because I like to write, you know, I like to write. I wanted to be a veterinarian when I, every kid wants to be a veterinarian. So we went, we went from that point and I, I said that in sort of in honor of my grandmother. And I didn't know until years later who the heck I had met. <laughs> and uh, so I went on there and said, what was that man's name? He goes, his name was John. And I went, okay, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do with that? So later on, I got this piece of paper that said, and he wrote this for me. He said, write what you know, and you'll always succeed. I didn't know it was John Steinbeck. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And it, it was incredible. Super nice man. Super nice man. I mean, I, I got to know his son. His, his son was also named Tom. And uh, uh, we became friends, although we actually never met. We sort of emailed each other a lot. That kind of stuff has happened to me throughout my entire career. And uh, uh, just as another example, in 2003, I think it was, been a long time ago, um, I was a keynote speaker at the uh, Detroit, Michigan Readers Conference. And from there, you know, it's like thousands of people, teachers mostly, uh, and librarians. And uh, during the lunchtime, uh, I got my lunch and whatnot, and there were no tables left. Uh, and there was one table there that was, um, had not been cleaned yet, had not been bust. It was, it was a mess. So I just shoved things to the side and went from there and proceeded to eat. And all of a sudden, here comes this, uh, this gentleman who had sort of scraggly short hair, kind of Ben Franklin glasses and um t-shirt and 
sort of Bermuda shorts with uh, low top sneakers and crew socks. Um, not looking like he had been, didn't know what a, what a razor was in a couple of days. <laughs> and um, he, he come over to me with his food and he said, you know, do you mind if I sit here? This is the only table that's available. And I said, yeah, sure. If you can stand it. So he sit, sits down, begins to eat, and he, he reaches over and says, hi, I'm Elmore Leonard. Now, I don't know if you know who Elmore Leonard is, but he happens to be probably the most prolific Western writer and movie writer um, in the industry. He's written bazillions of books. Um, he's passed away now, but the um, he was about six, seven years ago. And uh, he became my mentor uh, you know, via email and stuff like that. Now, here's the kicker. You know, we're busy writing and whatnot and just, or not writing, but we're eating. Um, and all of a sudden he looks up and goes, hey, and calls out to the tall gentleman with kind of gray curly hair. And I went, uh-oh, who's this? I said, if he wants to sit here, he can. He said, come here. I said, hey, Kirk. So I said, Kirk, come here. I want to talk to you for a second. So he comes over. And I'm my eyeballs went out of my head. Here I am sitting in the middle of two of the greatest 20th century writers I had ever known, Elmore Leonard and Kurt Vonnegut. Well, I knew that's going to be Vonnegut because yeah. there are not that many first uh, with that kind of first name. Yeah. My goodness. And it was it was remarkable. They're sitting there talking shop, and I'm trying to take in everything that they're saying. And this is like a classroom just set for me. And it was almost as if nobody else knew they were there. Nobody came over to bother them for an autograph or anything like that. Everybody was too busy eating, which was going, oh, this is incredible. So that's, that kind of stuff happens to me all the time. Well, it sounds like you don't have to write about magic. You, you live it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I never thought about it that way, but it seems to um, have that. My grandmother, when I was young, he said, come here, I want to, I have something for you. And I, I said, this is a present and it's only for you. It's not for your mom or dad or, or sister or brother. And so they, she goes, no, put your hands down. Cause I thought I was going to get a present, you know, or an actual present. And she goes, no, no, no. And she goes, you know, I'm a writer. I go, yeah. And she goes, I am giving this to you. Now I, you know, I had no idea. You know, when you're that young, eight years old, you don't know about those things. He goes, this is, this was her special gift just for me. She saw something, but I had never paid attention to it. Now, I got my first award when I was 10 years old, a California State Young Writers Award. I was the very first recipient. That contest is still going on for young writers who want to pursue that. Um, I was a judge for a time for many years because I was the first one and uh, uh, attended a special uh, event that uh, brought in several uh, new writers, new young writers from Butte County. And that was thrilling because I thought, yeah, okay, we're doing good here. And uh, it just went from that point. So it, it's been a fun ride. My guest is T.E. Watson, and he has a new book. He has written uh, 152 books for children, and he has a new book that he has come out with, and it is A Place to Be. We'll be back to continue our conversation after a short break. You're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm Nancy Wigman.
I'm Nancy Wigman, and you're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm back with my guest, Tom Watson. T.E. Watson is the name he writes under. He writes many, many children's books. He's written over 152 stories for children. And Tom, you uh, you seem to you try to make a point in your books. Um, you might call it a moral, maybe, or educational. What uh, kind of point do you like to make in your books for the children? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> depends upon the mood. I mean, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the uh, the main point is encouragement, uh, loyalty, friendship, things like that. Um, they're all important to young people. Uh, they don't, a lot of times they don't have that role model that can teach them those kind of things. Uh, a lot of them will get, you know, through broken homes or whatever. And so with with the point being of, of encouragement is that they should be in a position to be able to feel like they can do anything. And I think that's super important. Uh, one time I was doing this, a, a school presentation in Placer County, California, and the there was a young boy that came to me and it was just a small school. They only had, it was like first, second and third grade. There was no kindergarten and there was no fourth or fifth. And a young third grader came to me and said, can I have a book? And I thought, of course you can have a book. And, and he couldn't afford it. I knew he couldn't afford it. Um, and I just happened to have a really oddball book in my hand. The book had been printed upside down. You could still read it like a normal book, but the binding was upside down. And I said, I have this book. Would you like it? And he goes, yeah, I don't even, I don't even mind what it is. So I gave him that book. And this is what I told him. I said, never be afraid to be yourself and to ask questions. I don't know what happened to him after that, but uh, he was tickled to death. And he had the courage to be able to ask a question of obviously somebody he held in high esteem. I, at that point, I don't even know why, but because he had just met me, but that was that was okay. You know, it was it was interesting to to do that. Now the principal heard about this and the gentleman was just super nice man. And he goes, we have never had anybody approach this young boy like that before. And he asked me, do you want a job? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, not really. <laughs> So, it, uh, you know, it. I run into children like that all the time. Um, I was at a a book signing, and this young young man, nine years old, his name was Jordan. This is in my in my book, uh, Light and Stone, which is uh, realities of publishing. And the chapter was entitled "Why We Write." The 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 young boy came over and very quietly and very shyly came over and, and started looking at Mom, Can I Have a Dragon? Well, Mom, Can I Have a Dragon? Probably my most popular book to that point. And uh, he just started looking through the pages. And the father came over and said, no, 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 don't, don't touch. And I said, no. I looked at the dad and I said, he's okay. Let him read it. And he goes, are you sure? I was like, absolutely positive. He took the book, sat down in the middle of the floor, and read it page per page all the way through. And the dad looked at me and said, we didn't even know he could read. And I said, it's probably because he didn't have anything he wanted to. Well, the boy um, had, I'm sorry. No, I just wanted to move on to the, the role that an illustrator plays because oh, sure. uh, you come up with the idea and you write the words. But the illustrator is so important because that's what the children see. Yeah. Even if they can't read, like this kid, <laughs> parents didn't even know he could read. Yeah. Uh, for example, um, you write, you wrote a book called The Gingham Friend. And the Gingham Friendship, yes. Friendship, yes. The Gingham Friendship. And um, a kid might not know what gingham is, but the illustrator fills in that information for the child, it seems. They look at the pictures and say, oh, that's what gingham is. Yeah. Yeah. The gingham. I mean, the, the inspiration came from the Velveteen Rabbit. Uh -huh. And uh, the, the idea of the gingham friendship 
was just a short piece, which is a short poetry piece. And the uh, the gingham friendship was just super simple of an experience that I saw a, a, a young girl have where the parents didn't allow her to take her her bunny rabbit with her when they moved. And mom said, no, we'll just get you a new one. And I thought, wow, man, that's something not right there. So well, yeah, gingham friendship is special. Well, it brought to mind uh, when I was a kid or even older, the gingham dog and the calico cat side by side on the table sat. Oh, yeah. But its ending was not that pleasant for a kid, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I want to move on to your uh, book, A Place to Be. Yeah. And uh, it seemed to be also a story of encouragement and friendship and loyalty. Who illustrated A Place to Be? Gentleman by the name of Stan Jaskell did A Place to Be. Um, I think he did a, a really fine job on this. Um, I don't I don't dictate to illustrators what the things should be. I just give them ideas. Hopefully they we end up on the same wavelength. But Stan has a distinction of being an art professor uh, back in Massachusetts, and also the distinction of uh, living very close to the witch house in Salem, which is kind of kind of fun and kind of his claim to fame. But um, he's he says he's a uh, wannabe Disney artist, and I'm going well. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> so the, the the illustrator is is super important because if they have the ability to take my words and turn them into images, that's fantastic. Because I can't draw, I can't draw stick people. So <laughs> this, this book, a place to be, is a little bit of a departure from some of your other books, which are it is a little bit few yeah. words. And um, this has more words in it, this A Place to Be, and also more characters. And the characters in this book are a little unusual, except on the cover of your book is A Place to Be. And the cover of A Place to Be has a bird right. on it. Yeah. So a bird is one of the characters in this book. And I'd like you to read the section of A Place to Be where your main character is encounters this bird and who you have a couple of main characters who are your two main characters and this the also main... is unusual in a place to be yeah um i went in an old-fashioned kind of method where the characters don't actually have names they are what they are in this case the main characters are wind and paper now, the inspiration for this book came from when I was sitting uh, downtown near a park uh, of, a, of a small city I used to live in, and the uh, I saw this piece of paper being, you know, battered around with a very strong breeze, and it just was going up and down and throughout and turning around loop-de-loops and things like that, and I went, oh, that's really fun. I got up my piece of paper, as I usually have with me, and started to write about it. In its first form, just to you know, just to jot down some ideas. Well, and would for, you read us that section from A Place to Be, where paper in and wind encounter bird? Sure. Off in the distance, wind heard an old friend singing happily, and he took paper to meet her. Bird, bird, how are you? Wind asked. This is my friend Paper. We are searching for his new home. Paper has a question for you. Perhaps you can give him an answer. Bird, I have been flying through the sky like you do. Does this mean I should make the sky my home? Paper asked. Bird chuckled. The sky is not my home. I just use the sky to get from where I have been to where I need to be. My friend Wind helps me get to where I want to go. And right now, I'm going to my happy place. Where's that? Paper asked. I'm going home. I don't have a home, Paper said. Wind and I have been looking for my home since forever. The bird replied, Paper, you will find your home. There you can be special. I hope you find it soon. Don't give up. Then Bird flew up into the sunshine and waved goodbye to her friends. This is award-winning children's author, 
T.E. Watson, Tom Watson, reading from a recent book, A Place to Be. Now, um, you uh, are inspiring young people. I'm sure you will continue to do so. So thank you for coming and telling us about your career as a writer and how you encourage young people. So thank you again, Tom. Oh, you're very welcome. My guest has been children's author T.E. Watson, Tom Watson, and we were just talking about his book, A Place to Be. After a break, I'll be talking to children's book author Josh Sheldon. You're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. I'm Nancy Wigman. Nancy Wigman, and you're listening to Nancy's Bookshelf on North State Public Radio. Local children's book author Josh Sheldon and illustrator Sam Polenza have published a second book in their series, I Am Adventures, Imagine a World. They take children on a journey of imagination and educates them about some of our planet's most pressing issues. They encourage their readers to follow their heart's path and be the ones to evoke the lasting change and healing our planet needs. I've invited Josh Sheldon to tell us about this second children's book, Imagine a World, which follows their book, Hey Tree, What Shall I Be? Josh Sheldon, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Nancy. Blessed to be here. You were a general building contractor, and why did you give that up? Well, I still, I still, I still build out there. I mean, I still like to use my hands. I still have fun creating in that realm. So that's still an active part of my life. But like, you know, I, there's just a calling to try to, to help assist. And I've always had a passion for the kids on the planet and the planet itself. And so I feel like there's just so many messages out there. I just felt like, you know, I couldn't stay quiet. I didn't need to be able to look at my kids when I'm older and say, you know, I didn't stay quiet. I, I did what I could and I just trying to, you know, there's just a, just a calling. So just kind of, I guess it boils down to following your heart, you know, it's taking action. And I've always, I've, you know, loved the arts, music, everything, and fell into general build, building uh, contracting as a way to, to make money. And I enjoy doing it. I still do. Um, but, you know, I, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go where the heart's calling you too. So I definitely, uh, we went, we went, uh, we went for this and we have some more coming, but yeah, this has been great. It's been awesome to, to produce and take, take action. So, you know, it's just kind of in the now and, and, and following the heart. Well, you say we, uh, that's with Sam Palenzo. You're yeah, that's with Sam. That's what really, you know, cause I, 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 you know, I like to draw and, and I, you know, I like all the art mediums, but we, we had a lifelong friendship. We, we kind of didn't see each other for a while and it just kind of was a perfect, uh, a meeting of of I brought uh, transcripts to him and he just started throwing the ink down and it just kind of took off like a freight train so yeah it is Sam it's kind of definitely a co-creative process that really helped it be uh the vision to be the best it could be and it really he helped bring my vision um and we continue to bring the vision to the table so it's it's been a super enjoyable process well did he have art in his background Oh yeah, he, yes, he did. He's uh he's always been a um in all mediums, whether it be paint, art, uh, charcoal. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a fantastic artist. It's definitely definitely his passion. Mm -hmm. So you created this series, and uh, your first book was "Hey Tree, What Shall I Be?" And you were helping children perhaps think, okay, what am I going to do when I grow up? And yeah, that's correct. 
yeah it's just the uh yeah that was um trying to help guide them that's such a huge question for youngsters you know and and you know that's it, a pretty broad uh question too it's like you want to dial it in i think the ultimate message of that book was to be happy with whatever you do um but yeah and then there's a series of four books um this second one imagine the world is as a power of thought uh, type of uh, message with, with a lot of other messages intertwined well if uh you uh have just you were a building contractor is your background but you are also a poet yes <laughs> you write your children's books so why don't you read us a little bit from um your your poetry yeah. that you write in imagine a world and we won't start at the very beginning but uh, just bring us up to where you start reading okay well yeah about a quarter way through the book after we've kind of set the stage and, and the the our little guides in the book the characters are going on a um, you know kind of a, a power of thought journey to you know start with the thoughts to to start the creation of what they'd like to see in the world so i'll just start with uh this here well um yeah um i ask you to start there in the uh colors that illustrate these two pages where I've asked you to start reading are so vibrant. And just for the uh, listener's benefit, what what is the illustration on this page where you're going to start reading? Okay, well, yeah, we've got our two characters. Um, they're in scuba gear um, under the ocean, and it's the ocean is just filled with vibrant, vibrant life, uh, animals, plants, and the colors. Yeah, and, you know, the, the little puffer fishes and the crabs and the octopuses and the stingrays. And uh, we have a little hamster that follows us throughout the book and it's a little UFO that he gets at the very beginning of the story. He's flying through there. So it's quite interactive. And it, yeah, this, this, these two pages were uh, my, they're, yeah, they just blow my mind. I, I'll open the book just to look at them myself and, I guess I'm still a kid, but. <laughs> and there's a a little turtle down there with a wonderful expression on the turtle's face. I'm amazed <laughs> you could get such expression on the turtle's face. And then not far from the little turtle is a tiny little critter with, um, he looks like he's flexing his muscles. Yeah, that's a little shrimp, you know, the little, the little <laughs> shrimp of the ocean. He's like, but I'm not, you know, in his head, he's not a shrimp. He's he's, he's the ruler of the seas. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's hear your poetry then, okay, uh, Josh. Um, imagine our seas vibrant and free with no oil or plastic or wasteful debris. Imagine our world with fresh water abound where our food grows abundantly in rich, fertile ground. Imagine our world where our cars don't need gas and our streets can return to lush lands of grass. Well, um, also, would you, because uh, as you're reading, the words um, fill such a small amount of space and the illustrations that Sam has done uh, yeah. take up a couple of pages where there isn't any written text. So uh, fill us in with his, can you describe these lovely illustrations, other kind of uh, life that he has depicted? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just kind of start reading again and then uh, and then describe them. Yeah. As, uh, yeah. Okay, so imagine a world with fresh water abound. So we have our little character. He's kayaking. We got a little duck with a snorkel. Um, they're both kayaking. We have our hamsters who's parked the UFO. He's floating down the river in his, um, in his little inner tube. So imagine a world with fresh water abound where our food grows abundantly and rich fertile ground. And here we have a scene of well, like, a, like, a, like a Native American type character, uh, just amongst a, a, just a vast display of, of crops and fruit trees. And we have a little uh, pile of acorns with a little, little squirrel shooting his hand out the top of it. Um, so when yeah, you start, the first uh, that you read, uh, the two characters are underwater themselves, they're snorkeling. Yeah, and then uh, that follows with all sorts of uh, underwater life, and they have such pleasant expressions on their faces, of an octopus, and um, it looks like a ray, a couple of rays, and puffer fish, and they have such delightful expressions on their face. You think, oh yeah, I want to be nice to this these little critters, 
And then uh, you have them, as you mentioned, kayaking. So there's this beautiful blue water. They're going over a waterfall. And there's that adorable little critter that's floating along in his own little tiny inner tube. And this is the, and what did you say this little critter is? That's the little hamster. So he 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 carries over um, throughout the book, and he kind of shows up throughout all the whole uh, the series. And so he's got his little UFO or his little spaceship parked on the rock, and he's enjoying a float with his uh, with his little human friends. So they're uh, in water for the first few pages that you're reading, and then you just mentioned they're on land now. And what's growing on the land? Yeah, well, what's going on the land here is uh, it's just it's a scene where you know where our food grows abundantly in rich fertile ground it's just a natural landscape you know not like an organized garden it's just a natural landscape full of fruit trees and corn and all kinds of different vegetables um pumpkins and you have just kind of like a kind of a native american type uh, character our, our our main character is dressed up as such and it just shows a display of abundance just naturally growing you know out of the rolling on earth and our little hamster friend is there on top yeah. of a stalk of corn, but there's also a little uh, insect that yeah. is so vital to our lives. And what little insect did Sam depict there? Yeah, well, that would obviously be the bee because they we we really don't really have much food without them. So yeah, we have a happy little bee kind of hovering in the middle of the scene, just you know taking pride in his. Uh, oh, there's a couple of them in the, in the scene taking pride in, in his assistance and in, in creation. Well, uh, children, in my experience, like to have a book read over and over and over and over. And uh, children's books are not just for children. So when you, um, I just imagine the, the parent reading the book to the child and pointing out the things in this picture that Sam has illustrated, like the honeybee. And I think that's an opportunity for the parent to say how important honeybees are to our lives. Oh, yeah, and then, right. So uh, then let's continue then with what you wrote. Okay, let's see. So our, where our food grows abundantly and rich fertile ground. Imagine a world where our cars don't need gas and our streets can return to lush lands of grass. You want me to go over the, uh, the um, artwork yeah. on this one? Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, imagine a world where our cars don't need ga gas and our streets can return to lush lands of grass. So here we have just a, another character that showed up that uh, we have a cast of characters in this book. This guy's running. He's got the hamster coming out of his, uh, <laughs> out of his head and he's, he's pulling a kite and um, you know, we have. So the, the, the little guy running has uh, the hamster sitting on top of his hair and the hamster has uh, what is in the hamster's hand. The hamster has got a kite. And if you look really closely at the kite, it's got a little key hanging on it. Kind of like, you know, the discovery of it, uh, electricity back in the day, you know, the, the experiments that were done to just even bring us electricity. And we have a, a maglev uh, train shown in the back, kind of like a, you know, a high technology, suppressed technology type of uh, transportation system that relies on magnetics depicted there. We've got a... Well, now, now, maybe you should explain, and it, it's labeled M-A-G-L-E-V on this train that's yeah. elevated. Yeah, it's a magnetic le levitation train. It's just, uh, it's just, it's tech we've had for a long time. I mean, you know, we've had technology on this planet for a very long time that could, could liberate our systems for sure. It's just suppressed and, you know, just trying to, it, it slowly but surely gets out there. There's lots of mediums for uh, travel that uh, we could be using um, in all facets. So maglev stands for magnetic levitation, and it's just basically used magnetics in the, and uh, different tech to rotate free energy and that's in the background and in the foreground i think sam likes horses because it's such a beautiful depiction of a horse on this page yeah it is you know the funny backstory to that is he probably he he probably drew this this horse 20 times and every one of them i thought was fantastic and great and he just kept just like going back and going back and this is the one he landed on i could see why it just it almost to me it looks like yeah it's a frozen image but you can feel the motion in in this picture you can feel you can feel the horse moving um amongst it and he end off to the right yeah there's a lot like you mentioned earlier 
there's all kinds of little hidden creatures. You got a little worm snug down in these little patch of flowers. You got some bunny ears poking out and a little little snail. Um, and so you I, might say too that the horse is grazing. Uh, Sam has depicted this horse grazing on this lush land of grass. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Okay, on to the next page. Imagine all beings warm and fed where every soul has a soft place to rest their head. And this is a night scene uh, with a campfire. And there's a little, uh, there's an egg um, that also, uh, he's with the, the chicken's egg with his little feet, or we don't know what the egg is, uh, but his feet is cracked out of it. And he's warming himself on the fire. And um, this theme follows throughout the entire book where there's an egg that, that is going through the hatching process through the whole story and at the towards the end of the book he hatches and has a pretty pivotal part in the overall message of the book there's a little sign sticking out of the ground that says dream and um it's a it's a beautiful night scene uh with a big bright yellow moon and some clouds and stars and on on top of the uh, one of the clouds we have a, a sleeping uh sheep and you know he's got he's a he's a it's a black sheep. You've heard we've all heard of that team. Oh, the black sheep term that black sheep with a family or you're the black sheep. So he's just perfectly contented and snoozing. He's got his little uh, stuffed animal with him, and our hamster friend is uh, is sleeping cozy on top. He's of yawning. Yeah, yeah. So there's this. He's giving a big yawn. A sheep cuddling his own little stuffed teddy bear, and there's our hamster friend yawning like he's getting ready to go to sleep. Yeah, and. Uh, and then what else? Okay. Um, and then, so the next page, imagine a world where we reveal the secrets of our past and planet Earth's magical mysteries are set free at last. So this one just implores you to wonder. Um, uh, it's, it's a series of four pages. Um, so imagine a world where we, where we, excuse me, imagine a world where we reveal the secrets of our past. We have the we have a, a little egg stashed there with a wonder sign. We see the pyramids of Giza tucked away in the background. Um, so on the previous page, there's a little sign. The, the word is written out, dream. Sam yeah. wrote out the word dream. Yeah. And on the following page, he has a little sign stuck in the ground, actually next to the egg saying wonder. And then the, you mentioned the pyramids in the background. So there's an opportunity for the parent or the person reading the book to explain uh, these uh, old, old objects that were part of the world, this world where we reveal the secrets of our past, like the pyramids. Yeah, and our magical mysteries are set free at last, where we have uh, our um, our hamster friend uh, doing a um, flying in his, his little spaceship, weaving in and out of the uh, the Stonehenge, the the monument, the stone monument there in England of Stonehenge. So, yeah, that just kind of is a, a series in the book to just kind of draws on our past and mystery because in mystery and there's a lot of questions and asking questions is an important part. Being being uh, curious and and just seeking knowledge. So that's kind of what that little section of the book is about. Well, why don't you just read us the rest of the book? Okay, imagine a world where all beings have time to pursue their wildest dreams and abundantly shine. Imagine a world where we can visit the stars, play tag on the moon and hopscotch on Mars. Imagine a world where real healing takes place and freedom engulfs the whole human race. Now, just real quick, they, they, this kind of wraps up their imagination journey. They're very present in the book. Um, uh, delivering this message both characters are looking straight at the reader we've traveled so far but we're not done just yet with our feet on the ground let's pause and reflect can you imagine a world where united is one we all stand and love will be the only law of the land and then they're they're on top of the mountain they were climbing throughout the artwork and they're at the top screaming yes i can imagine a world where i love all i see and all i see loves me back when it looks at me Sure, we may look different, all the yous and me's, but if you go deep within, we're all the same. Oh, yes, indeed. You may be gigantic and hairy, have wings like a fairy, or the ears of a small garden gnome, but whatever your shape, color, or size, we all share planet Earth as our home. And she is asking us to answer her call, because where we go on is where we go all. The moment is now. The time to wait is no more. We are the ones we have been waiting for. I imagine this world. 
Yet deep down within, I can remember this world and I will create it again. We are all creators here to create and these creations of ours, well, they just can't wait. So from the tip tops of our mountains to the deepest depths of our seas, we have imagined this world. And so it will be. And this is the last page of the uh, of the book where it has just an awesome depiction of our two characters literally engulfing the planet in a big hug. It's a, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scene. Well, um, thank you for writing this book. You and Sam doing the illustrations, John. Thank you for sharing it with us. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. My guest has been Josh Shelton, and he and illustrator Sam Palenza, their latest book is Imagine a World. I would also like to thank my first guest, children's book author T.E. Watson, whose latest book is A Place to Be. And now here's a poem from Amy Anton Giovanni. A Definition of Platonic Love. This poem is an erasure poem. So all of the text is actually taken from Plato's Symposium, um, the section where um, Diatama is speaking to Socrates. Okay. Definition of Platonic Love. And will become a lover of that beauty of the mind contemplating the vast sea and will create noble thoughts, boundless love and waxes strong the vision revealed, a single science, silence of everywhere. Desires remains the same in any one of us always coming, going, spring up, recollection and decay each of them experiences a like change, a departure, mortal body, mortal anything, wonder, memory, souls which are pregnant with virtues, pursue them seeking beauty utmost in spirit, of fair and noble thoughts, science of beauty everywhere. This, my dear, is that life above all comes, contemplation and love absolute. You've been listening to Nancy's Bookshelf, a production of North State Public Radio. You can find this and other episodes of Nancy's Bookshelf on our website, mynspr.org.